0: or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za Good morning, Living Hope Church. Again, it is wonderful to be with God's people on this Lord's Day, to be able to sit under the teaching of God's Word, we're able to sing these amazing songs together like we did this morning. I think you can agree, it's such an encouraging time. We're able to sing such truths together. And then you just be praying together, corporately as a family. And hear all these things that Blake has been praying about on behalf of us as a church. Like, the Lord's at work here. It's amazing to see. The Lord is really at work. And I had the privilege this last weekend to travel to Kamangani with my family as well. And so we were able to spend some time... Uh, with the Akali and Narato and some of the, the other missionary families that are already serving in Campuchini, um last weekend. And I just want to, by way of introducing our sermon today, mention that it is really encouraging to see people sacrificing so much for the good of the king. And the only conclusion that could be is because they understand how much they've been given from the king. When we see missionaries go to a village like Kamangani, even from places like America, and we have been there for 15 years, and there's only a handful of people that say they believe in Jesus, then you interact with those missionaries and you you ask them, how come you pray? And they say, just pray for true conversion. Pray for true conversion that people really would come to know and submit their lives to Jesus. And so when these guys go into the villages of Kalbun or wherever that might be, when Akani is going to go there, what is the purpose? Is it just to tell people to be like us? Is it just to have people sing the same songs as us? Read from the same Bible as us? It's not. It's so encouraging to see how these missionaries are even learning learn the Songa language. To be able to communicate with people. And so the goal for any missionary, any child of God is to point people to Jesus, to point people to Jesus and specifically his death and resurrection and what he's achieved for for, for people on the cross. And as I was interacting with Seth, one of the missionaries there, he was telling me, one of the biggest oppositions we have right now is still the gospel that is being perverted by the prosperity news and nonsense that is out there. The prosperity gospel is really blinding people to what it means to really follow Jesus. And so they have to fight for the truth in the villages of Carbongan. And church, we have to fight for the truth whether we are in Pretoria, in Durban, Cape Town, across the world. Christians have to fight for the truth of the gospel. And Paul, as we have been seeing in Galatians, he is engaged for the battle of the truth. The truth that says we are only saved by grace through faith and not by works of the Lord. Now church, let me tell you this. If there is someone that you do not want to go up against in a debate, it is the apostle Paul. He will destroy you. And what we will see, because of the, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he is able to refute the logic and the behavior of his false teachers in Galatia and the influence they had on the local church there. He's able to show the church in Galatia how foolish it would be to turn to a gospel that says, it's Jesus plus works. Turn to the issue of circumcision and trying to keep all the rules of the Old Testament to complete their right standing before God. And be fooled to think that somehow you can be justified and sanctified by your own performance. Now we saw in chapters 1 and 2 that Paul was specifically defending his authority as an apostle, defending his right to speak as God's chosen messenger, indicating to us the source and the authority of his message. But now in chapter 3 and 4, because now we're going to start with chapter 3 today, in chapter 3 and 4, Paul is going to continue defending the theology of that message. The gospel of grace and how you can only be saved by faith in Jesus and not by works of the Lord. And so even as a transitional sense, we started looking at the the doctrine of justification by faith at the end of chapter 2. In verses 15 to 21. And now we start chapter 3 verses 1 to 5 and defending the doctrine of the justification in a personal argument. With a personal argument you could say. Because is an argument that appeals to the very Christian experience the Galatians had. The experience they had when they first heard the real truth of the gospel, and then how they responded to that message with faith in Jesus. Indicating that when they did turn to Jesus, that was the actual moment when they received the powerful Holy Spirit in their lives. And see, what the Bible makes clear is that when you receive The Holy Spirit at conversion, that is the only true mark that indicates whether you truly belong to God's people. It's not circumcision. Then he continues in verses 6 to 14. He's going to make the argument from scripture itself. He's going to use different passages of the Old Testament to prove his point. Going back to the time before the law was even in the picture. And then he turns to the logical argument in chapter 3, verses 15 to 29. He's reasoning with his readers about the nature of covenants and how that all works. And then he gets to chapter 4, and we will see that Paul's going to make a historical argument, you could say. A historical argument, first 11 verses, explaining more specifically the place and function the law had in the history of Israel. And as Paul's going along making this argument, uh, all these different ways, he's realizing how much he actually loves the Galatians, and so he appeals to them to remember his love for them and how close they were in the past. And so we could call that the sentimental argument in verses twelve to twenty. But then he ends chapter four with, with what we would call the allegorical arguments, where he's making a point by bringing up this scenario, this picture, this example based on the life of Abraham. And his relationship with Sarah and Hagar. To show that relationship between the law and faith. And then we see the practical outflow from all this theology in these two chapters. Found next in chapters 5 and 6. Where he's going to help us understand what it looks like specifically. To live a life that is instead with the powerful Holy Spirit that is at work in your life that spirit you receive, that moment when you put your trust and faith in Jesus. And so that's the broad overview of what we've got left in the book of Galatians. But for today, we are going to focus in on chapter 3, and specifically this personal argument Paul is making defending the truth of the gospel. Where Paul is appealing to the actual experience the Galatians had when they first heard the truth. But the important thing I want you to notice is how they receive the Holy Spirit in that experience. So let's open our Bibles and we'll read together from Galatians chapter 3 and we'll read the first nine verses. Galatians chapter 3 the first nine verses. This is what Paul writes. O foolish Galatians who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed among with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, Paul starts with the appeal to the Christian experience here, because he was actually there when the Galatians heard the gospel. He was there when they first trusted in Jesus. So in one sense, We have to be careful because when Paul makes his argument from experience, we know that it's possible for us to perhaps misunderstand our religious experiences, don't we? It's when I trust my feelings, when they're so strong and overwhelming, that I think, this is the Spirit telling me to do this and that. When in fact, Scripture makes it clear that the promises that we are to believe and the principles we are to follow, instead of just simply our feelings. Our experiences must line up with the truth of the Bible. And so actually Paul brings in the, the balance to this argument in the next section, 6 to 14, when he brings in this issue of Scripture and Abraham and everything that goes along with that. And it's obvious that the Galatians had a very significant experience when Paul first visited them and started preaching the gospel to them. But God was doing this amazing work in them and amongst them. But now, here comes the Judaizers again. Saying, you know what? That experience you had is not complete. You need Jesus and Moses. Jesus and Moses. Yeah. And what you find in the rest of uh, this, in the start of the chapter 3, is that Paul is using different rhetorical questions to help the Galatians see that they really need to, turn, to not turn their back on the grace of God and turn to the Lord. And these rhetorical questions are a very clever way for Paul to to make his argument and make it so obvious what is going on. Because what is the purpose of a rhetorical question? Why do we use rhetorical questions? A rhetorical question is a question that doesn't need an answer because it's so clear and obvious to everyone what the answer is. It's so obvious what's going on that no one has to even say anything just by simply hearing the question and thinking about it, you know what the answer is. And Paul wants the Galatians to think. That's why he uses all these questions. He wants them to think and specifically think and remember what God has done for them in Jesus to remember all the resources they have by faith in Jesus. Because last time we saw that how united we are to Jesus and because we are united to Jesus, we are dead to the law and dead to sin, and now we can actually live holy lives that please God by faith. Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Motivated by the sacrificial love of God. And that's a theological reality for everyone that says he believes in Jesus. And really does. But Paul also wants us to recognize. All the resources we have, not only because of how united we are to Jesus and the way that that changes the way God the Father looks at us, but having received the powerful Holy Spirit in our lives that now lives in us and through us. And so, if we are going to recognize all the resources we actually have in the gospel and not be led astray and be called foolish, like Paul calls these guys foolish, then we're not going to rely on our own efforts. To do this thing called Christianity, then the first thing Paul wants us to see is, you need to recognize the spiritual battle that you are in. Recognize the spiritual battle that you are in. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You see, Paul knows what the Galatians know. He knows what they have seen and experienced and believed. But the clear and obvious defective behavior forces him to cry out with bewilderment and with passion, "Oh, foolish Galatians! We know by now that in a similar way like Peter, the Galatians had become so confused in their doctrine. But not only in their doctrine... In their conduct. Remember some of the Galatians are actually willing to go and get circumcised. When in fact they know that circumcision is not required to be a Christian. So Paul is like a passionate parent crying out. How can you be so foolish? Makes me think i with my wife does I work with my kids, you know. And they've practiced the math equation a hundred times and they've gotten it right a hundred times. But then you ask them that very next time to look at the similar kind of questions and they look at you like they have no clue. And my wife is like, how is that possible? How can you not know how to do this? When you in fact know exactly how to do this. But in that situation doesn't compare to the seriousness of this situation because we're talking about the very essence of the gospel. And so Paul is shooting straight here with the Galatians. And he calls them fools. And the word fools here doesn't mean they're stupid. It doesn't mean they they don't have the mental capacity to comprehend what is actually right and wrong and what they're doing. It's like my wife knows my kids aren't stupid. They can do that math equation, but because they have done it so many times before. You see, the word "foolishing" actually means mental laziness and carelessness. Mental laziness and carelessness. The Galatians are not focusing. They're busy being foolish by dropping their guard and becoming lazy in their thinking to even consider for a moment that you need circumcision and try to keep all the 618 Old Testament laws after you put your faith in Jesus. It's so unbelievable for Paul. He says something supernatural must be going on. I can't believe it. Something must be going on behind the scenes. Who has bewitched you? He asks. Paul like the Galatians have been put under some kind of spell or something. Someone or something is at work behind the scenes. And to us, it might sound similar to when you maybe you're in the villages of Guinea, and the missionaries there are like, Your behavior makes me think like the local Sangoma has put a spell on you. But as we look at this word, this idea of bewitched in this context, it actually means that you are charmed in a misleading way. Charmed in a misleading way. Because the word here means you are to exert an evil influence through the eye. That's the technical way. Or the easier way to understand is You are under the influence of the evil eye. Now I want to just say this clearly. I don't think Paul is saying that the Galatians were actually under some magic spell or witchcraft. He's not advocating for witchcraft. He's rather saying there's this evil spiritual influence that is at work here. And we know the devil works in very different ways, doesn't he? And he uses false teachers to pervert the truth of the gospel and lead people astray. Because he's like a roaring lion who wants to eat you up and devour you. And so the Galatians were under real spiritual attack. And if you are a true believer in Jesus, you need to recognize that even if you are united to Jesus, we are too constantly under spiritual attack. Because the devil doesn't want you to completely trust in Jesus. He wants you to forget what Jesus has done for you. He wants you to think you love Jesus, but he wants you to live as if you don't really love Jesus. Rather trusting in your own strength every single day. He wants you to think, Jesus loves you. But then stuff happens in your life and you start to think, oh, maybe it doesn't really me." I mean, we have to think. We have to think. Right now our faith is confronted with all these different kinds of issues. I mean, you just read through the news and you hear people saying stuff like, the vaccination is the mark of the beast. It's evil. It's from the devil. Others think that this whole COVID virus was started intentionally so that people can gain economic control of the whole world. Others are indicating that too much power has been given to the government, so now the church cannot function the way it used to. But even for how many years have some so-called churches teach that you need a certain level of spirituality to make it in this life? That life is all but you. You are the center of your destiny. And because of the Holy Spirit, you are in fact like God. You are like a little God. And we can acknowledge that the devil can be at work through all these kinds of obvious and not so obvious lies. One commentator says, doctrinal error has two primary sources. Human ignorance and the not demonic malevolence. And the reality of the Galatians were they were facing both. They were facing both. Embracing the lies of these false teachers was a moment where their faith in Jesus was failing. Their lack of thinking clouded their judgment. We see in the Bible that actually being a fool was even how Paul described himself at one stage. Paul said before he became a believer in Titus 3.3 For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating another. But we also see something similar with the disciples and Jesus. Luke 24, you remember? Where Jesus rebukes the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And because they had failed to study and believe what the prophets had said about the fact that Jesus would have to die and would be raised to go back to heaven. Luke 24, 25. O foolish ones! oh foolish ones! And slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Their understanding failed because their faith had failed to understand the truth of the word of God. So it's easy for us to kind of think that because we're at war with the devil, we can simply blame him for our foolishness. Maybe like back in the Garden of Eden, right? Where we blame shift. Yes, we have to recognize that we are at war with the devil. But we can't simply blame our actions on that influence. Why? Why? Because we have been given special revelation. And we are in a new position before God. Because we have to hold on by faith and have to recognize that we have the Holy Spirit. The devil and sin does not have the power it has over and used to have over us in the past. But then look at what Paul says the next. He says the rest of verse 1. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So again, he reminds the Galatians of what they've seen and experienced already in Jesus. And Paul knew in order to get these Galatians back on track, to get them to turn away from this evil influence, this bewitchment, to wake them up, they had to do what? They needed to remember the cross. They needed to remember the cross. They had to look back at the cross of Jesus. And I like the word wording of Paul here because he refers to how Jesus was crucified before your eyes. And this issue of being bewitched, we said, means that you were under the influence of the evil eye. So to fight against the evil eye's influence, you have to turn your eyes to the right influence. Which is the influence of of the cross. But what does Paul mean that Jesus was crucified before their eyes? Because they were not there when Jesus was actually nailed to the cross. Galatia is a long way away from Jerusalem. But it was when Paul actually went there on his missionary journey and he preached in such a way that through the power of the Holy Spirit that it was as if they were there on that very day. When the Son of God was nailed to the cross. The gospel they heard caused them to be able to reach out and touch the cross of Jesus as if they were standing right there. In fact, they were portrayed occasionally with with the idea of advertising, displaying. As if a, a billboard was put up through Paul's preaching, picturing the crucifixion of Jesus. And what the Galatians had seen was this graphic display of how Jesus died for their sins on the cross. And so what was the focus of Paul's preaching? Because he didn't go to the villages of Galatians and tell people, you just need to pick up your game and become a a better follower of the law of Moses. He didn't show up with Barnabas and put on this religious concert and this religious show so that people can have this tingling experience of uh, what it means to follow Jesus. His focus was preaching to them the crucified Messiah. The crucified Messiah. And that experience had a powerful consequence powerful consequence. I mean, last week we saw Alan speaking about how the eyes of Adam and Eve were opened and they disobeyed and when they ate that fruit and this load, this heavy load of right and wrong was too much for them to bear. But here's the thing, when the Holy Spirit is at work in in your broken heart, your eyes are fixed not on your own performance to live in God's presence, but your eyes are fixed on the cross of Jesus. Because it's right there that we point people to. To see the incarnate Son of God. The God-man. Human and divine. And because He was man, Jesus was able to enter our situation and be able to suffer for our sins. And because He was God, He was able to, to, to be the perfect sacrifice that we need. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians one twenty three, we preach Christ crucified. And a spirit-filled person should have the same conviction like Paul did in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. For I decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You see, in young Galatians, back in chapter 2, we said, I have been crucified with Christ. And now are in chapter 3, as crucified. And the tense here is the perfect tense, which means it talks about a past event. We all acknowledge that, right? Jesus died in the past, history, a past event. But it's a past event that has continuous implications for the right here, right now. We don't leave our justification behind and continue with life thinking we can do sanctification on our own. The truth of being declared right before God stays with us every single day. And it's when we continue to look back at the cross that we see Jesus being crucified on a specific day, a specific time, in that moment, all my sin is taken by God. That by His mercy, He accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made on my behalf. I have this great high priest that proves that even when He rose from the from the grave, that He's alive. All this is true because He's alive, and now we are alive. Because His Spirit dwells within us. And because we've been united to Him, He is living His missionary life in us and through us. Have you ever thought about it like that? Jesus lives His missionary life in you and through you. But if we take our eyes off the cross, we're going to be in danger like the Galatians did. And so Paul, he painted it in this picture of the crucified Jesus on a, on the billboards of their minds and hearts. The Judaizers come in with their spray paint and their graffiti all over that picture. Trying to add to the gospel. And so what Paul does here is gives this cry of rebuke. And he starts this argument with indicating that we need to recognize the spiritual war we are in. And if we're lazy in our thinking, we will come under the same influence of the devil and these false teachers around us and want to lead us astray. But rather, says, keep your eyes focused on the cross. Keep it centered on the cross. Remember the cross. And if we don't want to be bewitched by the lies of this evil world, then Paul says next, recognize how you started the Christian journey number two recognize how you started the christian journey verse two he says let me ask you then only this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith i mean after paul starts with this this rebuke of calling the galatians out on their foolish behavior he's like i've got only one thing i want to know from you really and this is actually actually the big idea here he wants them to take take them back to the beginning of their christian experience He's asking this rhetorical question because it all all, all boils down to this. How did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first became a believer? What was that experience like? In other words, he wanted them to recognize the comparison between the possibility of receiving the Holy Spirit either by faith or by works of the Lord. And because of their own personal experience in in conversion, they knew there's only one answer. It could only be by faith. From experience, they know it's impossible to receive the Holy Spirit by your own efforts. The only real evidence that someone is a true Christian is not how much they think, how much they think they're doing for Jesus, how spiritual they think they are, what kind of language they use, but in fact, did they receive the Holy Spirit? And are they bearing fruit because of that Spirit? Paul says, Romans 8, verse 8 and 9. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you.
1: Anyone, does not, anyone who does not have the Spirit
0: of Christ does not belong to Him. Seems pretty clear, doesn't it? It's very important that we understand the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation and also in the life after salvation. Because what the Bible says is that before you can even begin to think of clinging to Jesus by faith and understand what it means to be justified for what Jesus has done, the Spirit, in fact, has to be at work in your life already. The Bible teaches us that Before someone is a Christian, the minister of the Holy Spirit convicts the lost sinner of his sin. What did Jesus say? John 16, verses 7 and 9. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, referring to the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. And judgment. The Bible also says that a sinner can resist the work of the Spirit. Acts 7.51 You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. And again, even as we go into the villages of Limpopo, or here around Pretoria, and we share the gospel with people, we know that people can resist the truth. But also, we know that because of the Spirit at work in people's lives, He can use the Spirit to actually see someone see His sin, repent of that sin, and put His trust in Jesus. Because the Spirit actually helps us to repent. We are so lost, we even need the Spirit to help us to truly repent. And then once the sinner sees his sin is led by the Spirit to see Jesus as the Savior for that sin. Through the proclamation of Christ crucified, that person is born again. Born again. John 3, Titus 3. But the Bible then also teaches us the new believer in Jesus. He is so united by the Spirit and baptized into one body. Look, look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one, And as many members and all the members of the body through though many are one body so it is with christ for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body jews and greeks slaves and free and all were made to drink of one spirit so not only are we fundamentally united to jesus by faith but because of the spirit at work on our lives but you are fundamentally united to the bride of christ other believers in this church if you are truly a believer. And it doesn't stop there. Because the Bible also teaches us that this new believer is sealed by the Spirit. Sealed by the Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Which simply means that we are, not so simply, but we struggle to understand that as true believers, we're going to make it to the end. We'll make it to the end because of the Spirit's work in our life, not our own works. Not because of what we've done. He is the guarantee The promise that we will one day share in the glory of Jesus. And you're like, what? How is that possible? Paul says, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1 6. And remembering this experience was vital to Paul's argument. You know, it's like when Facebook brings up this reminder, this memory of something that's happened in the past, right? You look at that experience and you think of all these thoughts as they come back as you look at that that photograph. And this is what Paul was wanting the Galatians to do. He wanted them to recognize and remember the experience they had when they first heard the gospel and received the Spirit of God. How the people in Galatia responded to the teaching of the crucified Jesus because the Spirit had been working in their lives. So as they do this, they could not deny. They could not deny that they received the Spirit because of the Spirit. And not because of their works. Because Paul keeps on saying there's only two options here. Salvation by works of the law or hearing by faith. And in fact, if you consider even what Peter was preaching in the book of Acts, you see that he was appealing to the presence of the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 15.8. Indicating that since the Gentiles had this gift of the Spirit, they didn't have to get circumcised. And so, if it's not by works, then it's only by the hearing of faith. And when you hear hearing of faith, what comes to your mind? Most of us probably think of Romans ten sixteen, right? Where Paul teaches that people can't come to faith on this one. How beautiful! are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. See, the Spirit of God works in connection with the word of God. But not just that, God also works through the faithful servant of God. People who bring the good news to the lost world around them. And so what was happening in Galatia is that Paul was preaching in such a vivid way that the Spirit of God was turning their ears into eyes. Causing them to see Jesus for who He really is. Having ears of faith that believe what they heard about Jesus. Now the problem comes in when people think that by keeping the Torah, observing the law, that they will indeed get this experience of the Spirit from Jesus. Because that is what people want. They want some method that shows that they are in control. They like to have control. Control that if they do this, then they're going to have this religious experience because of the Spirit. But God says that is now not how this works. The only way to know and embrace the resources you have in Jesus is how by entering into a relationship where you have to completely trust Him so I want you guys to hear this if someone tells you you need more of a spirit after you've already become a Christian so that you can have this higher elevated life Christ experience what are you going to tell them because Paul says you cannot get more of the Spirit after you become a Christian. You already got it when you first believed and became a Christian. What if someone tells you, your church doesn't talk enough about the Holy Spirit? And you can actually tell them, "Whoa, hold on. It's because we actually open our Bibles. It's actually because we open our Bibles that we experience the transforming power of the Spirit in our lives says it this way. If our lives of worship to Him is not saturated with the truth of the Bible, then we can hardly claim that we are worshiping God in the Spirit. For the Spirit works according to the truth. Here's what Paul is saying to the Galatians. You can't deny the fact that you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit when you first became believers. When I preached to you the crucified Jesus... And the Spirit was work among you and through you. So technically this argument's over. I can stop right here. It's done. It's so obvious. But Paul continues. I told you he's a master he's a master at at, at arguing with people from the scriptures. And this brings us to point number three. He says, Recognize first the spiritual war you in. Second, recognize how you started the Christian journey. And now thirdly, Recognize how you should finish the Christian journey. Verse three. Recognize how you should finish the Christian journey. Are oh, you so foolish? He asks again. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Which is essentially another way of saying, if you received the Spirit when you first became a Christian, why would you seek to use your own strength, your own efforts, your own understanding, your own requirements for a religious experience to finish the Christian journey? That is foolish, he says. You're not thinking. Because, how can you think that your weak, imperfect, sinful flesh can improve on the divine, perfect Son of God and what He began in you when you first believed? See, since we are saved through the Spirit and not works of the law, through faith and not the law, then it's obvious how we should keep on living, isn't it? The life of faith is to be lived by trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it becomes even more obvious because if the law couldn't save you, how do you think the law can make you more like Jesus after salvation? Which is Paul saying, if the law couldn't justify you, how do you think the Lord can sanctify you? Some people think that Jesus saves by faith, but then it's up to them to do all the work because gee more likely to be more like Jesus. Relying on your own efforts. But Paul clearly says, you have to finish the way you started. You don't have to pray and ask for these extra blessings. You don't have to pray for the special language to talk with God. To be spiritual people, we continue in the faith of the enduring power of the Spirit in the partnership with the Word of God. And so think about it this way. You need two parents to be able to conceive a child, right? You need two parents to conceive a child. In the same way, two spiritual parents are required to, to be born again into God's family the Spirit of God, and the Word of God. See, when my son came into this world, he came in with two eyes, two ears, two legs. He didn't just come as a body. I didn't have to take a lady to the doctor and the doctor snaps on the arms and the legs and the toes. And in the same way, when a child of God is born again into God's family, he has all he needs spiritually. Nothing has to be added. You see, if I give my son uh, some baby food, some exercise, a bath, he's going to grow mature in his life. And the same is true in the Christian life. You need to keep walking in the Spirit, eat the truth of God, drink the love of God, be washed by the Word of God, and you too will grow in spiritual discernment. You too will grow to be more like Jesus. here's the shocker. Here's the shocker. You know what? If you actually believe this, it involves you actually spend time in God's Word. Wow, that's so crazy. Can you believe it? You actually need to spend time in the Word of God. Where the Spirit shows you more of your sin. Shows you more of Jesus and how He paid for that sin. And how you can live practically, relying on the power of the Spirit and not your own. So we don't need this charismatic, supernatural experience to feel the presence of the Spirit in our lives. Every time you open God's Word and you study it, you trust what it says, you have it applied to your life, you have a supernatural experience from the Spirit. So Paul makes it clear that the way you enter the Christian life is the same way on in the Christian life. If you're going to try to be perfected by your own sinful efforts, You're a fool. The Bible says you're a fool. Then you are someone that believes that Moses was finished, but Christ has begun. And so we spoil the treasure of what we have in Christ if we try and add to this finished work. Imagine I get this amazing signed guitar from the Beatles or something. The whole band signs it. And this is an amazing gift I have with all these authentic signatures on them. And I take my coat and I try and replicate all the signatures on that guitar. Not only have I spoiled that guitar, I've made of no value anymore. No value anymore I'm trying to add my own signature to it. Paul wants us to think, he wants us to think. He wants the Galatians to recognize that if you have to to finish the way you started. Rely on God's work in you and through you and not on your own. You don't need anything else because you already have everything you need in Jesus. But then Paul says next, if you're going to be a boy, being fooled or be a fool, number four, recognize what you already endure in the Christian journey. Recognize what you have already endured In the Christian journey, verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? See, one of the reasons it would be so foolish for the Galatians to return to the law is because of the hardships they already faced when they became followers of Jesus. So Paul gives another rhetorical question here to help the Galatians contemplate what they have experienced since they started following Jesus and essentially he's asking, have you suffered for nothing? Have you suffered for nothing? See, the Greek word for suffer can also mean experience. Have you gone through all that experience for nothing? Now, Paul doesn't actually talk about suffering in this specific context, but we know from other passages in the New Testament that he uses the same word to refer to Suffering. Because suffering comes standard if you become a true follower of Jesus. In fact, we know that Paul and Barnabas they suffered greatly when they first came to Galatia. You see that in Acts chapter thirteen and fourteen. But also, if you keep reading Galatians and Galatians four twenty nine, Paul does refer to some level of persecution because of their commitment to Jesus. And so it makes sense that Paul is like, "Come on, Galatians, don't be fooled." Recognize what your salvation has cost you already. Consider what you have already given up for the gospel. Consider what you have invested for the gospel. And don't just throw it all away by going back to the Lord. Honestly, that would be like someone who has faced persecution from his family, who say they have conviction from the Bible, what it teaches, but then my culture says I have to go live in a foreign place. To get a job, but you say no. I'm going to live with my family and trust God, rather than abandon that to have financial security. But then, eventually, after months and months of hardship, you finally give in to the pressure and your, of your family and your circumstances and the culture, and you go look for that job in another province or even another country. And you tell yourself it's only for a short while. It's not that bad becomes one year, two years, ten years. Kids are growing up without a dad, your marriage is empty, you grow cold towards each other, and eventually you find yourself living with someone else to replace what you already had. Which is very sad, isn't it? To suffer for the sake of your convictions initially, to only throw them away because of the lack of faith in the promises of God. Failing to trust God's plan for the provision of your life, failing to trust that God gives you all the resources you need in this life. I'm reminded of the Apostle Peter again here. He has these vivid words in Second Peter chapter two verse twenty. He's talking about in the context of false teachers again, and anyone who's turning his back on the truth of God. He says, "For if." has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit, its own vomit. And the soul, after washing himself, returns to wallow in the mire. You see, essentially the Bible says it is better to have never known the truth. To not have even known the truth and having been exposed to it, and say so believe it who trust it then to defile it, to disobey it, and it's moral teaching. Because with this privilege of knowing the truth comes great responsibility. Do you ever think about it like that? This precious gift of the truth of the gospel, when you've embraced it and put your faith in Jesus, it comes with a a, a magnificent, wonderful responsibility. So in a sense, we can say these Galatians and... These Judaizers they were like dogs returning to its vomit, ready to eat any gross thing that comes their way. Because they heard the truth, embraced the truth, and now turning to a different gospel. The Bible, in fact, teaches that if we disobey God, we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 30. And those who live a life persisting in this can quench the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. But does this mean that we can actually have the Holy Spirit leave us and forsake us? Because what does the Bible say? We know that Jesus has promised His Spirit abides forever. John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Do you know what this means? It means that as you live a life of disobedience and you quench the spirit in your life the reality is you can't live with the joy and the power you need for your daily living maybe that is some of you even right now instead of being filled with the spirit ephesians 5:18, which means we are being controlled by the spirit like we'll see in galatians 5 perhaps you have forgotten who you are in christ You've forgotten the resources you have in Christ. You just rely on yourself. Man, praise God. For some of you, you can't actually see the way God is at work in your life. Like I saw this weekend, last weekend in Common Game. You can see the grace of God sustaining regardless of people's feelings. And praise God because of living a spiritual life. And that you understand the reality of justification by, by grace through faith. So what Paul is saying is, if we're going to avoid being a fool that relies on himself, you've got to recognize the war you're in. Because it's so easy to forget the truth. and become lazy in our thinking. Recognize the way you received the Spirit in the first place. How God saved you through the work of His Spirit. Recognize that you have to finish the way you started. How each day we are still dependent on the Spirit's work in us. And then recognize all that you have suffered and endured already by the grace of God. And now finally, just quickly. Number five. Recognize that God gave you the Spirit and He's still at work in you. Verse five. He gave you the Spirit and He's still at work in you. He says, "Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or hearing by faith. So Paul is actually summing up this whole issue here, this whole argument from experience, by pointing out to the Galatians that God the Father is actually the one who richly supplied to them His fur. He is the one who is actually working the miracles among them. He was the one who gave them this Christian experience. No human effort could produce those kinds of miracles. It had to be the supernatural work of the Spirit. And so the the, the simple point I want you to see from this last point is God was not dishing out a meager supply of the Spirit. He wasn't dishing out a meager supply of the Spirit because the word provides in the original here actually refers to supplying abundantly or with great generosity. God is not only the one who provides what we need. He provides it in abundance. And the teaching of the Jews was saying, you know what? To get the continual blessings from God, it's almost like you have to kind of bribe Him so that He will bless you. But true saving and understands that we have already been blessed in Christ. And so I need to rely on the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit to work in my life to experience His blessing every single day. Not my works. You see, because of His indwelling Spirit, we have the spiritual power of Satan. We have power to say no to the world, because we've been crucified with Him. We have the power to say no to our weak flesh. Our flesh has been crucified with Christ. We have the power to say no to sin because we have the power to enjoy the reality of our standing before God. Ephesians 3 Ephesians 3.20 Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Same question I asked last week. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Does your faith say, that is my gospel. That is the truth I believe. Or is your gospel, i got to do more? I've got to do more to be right with you. You have not be happy with me again. If you have received eternal salvation through trusting in what Jesus has done, if you've received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the same moment you believe, and if you know that God the Father is the one who is empowering you through all the work of his son and the Spirit, then how can we look to improve on all that by our own sinful efforts? Paul says that is wonderful. And that is the the question he was asking the Galatians. And that is the question God is asking me today. Justification by faith is a wonderful and very important doctrine. Paul is defending it here with these questions to help us think. To help us think how we are to live based on this truth. And so if you're going to leave here today, I want you to think. I want you to think. And here's at least five things you can think about. Have I become lazy in my thinking? Have I become lazy in my thinking? Which means, am I busy being a fool? Am I blaming my lack of joy, my struggle with sin, and the influence of others and the devil, and my circumstances? And have I become so consumed with all the busyness of life that I forget to look at the cross on a daily basis? Has my view of the cross been covered in that graffiti by the problems and lies of this world? Secondly, in your moments of discouragement and fighting against the flesh, one of the things Paul wants us to think is go back and think about the, the time when you actually did first become a Christian. Do it on a regular basis when you actually receive the Holy Spirit. Remember that experience. Think of how many times that has given you confidence to keep on going when you started to doubt. To recognize that you have been given what you have been given in Christ, regardless of how you are feeling right now. You remember what Christ did in you when He first saved you. You actually can have this assurance that your faith is real. Thirdly. I mean, think about what the gospel actually says that if the Lord cannot save you in the first place, then it can't make you more like Jesus either. I have, so ask yourself have I left this idea of justification behind? Do I say, yes, I believe I've been justified by what Jesus has done, but then I revert back to everything I have to do to get me to heaven? Fourthly, think about the cost of actually following Jesus. Many Christians give up a lot for the cause of Christ. Many Christians suffer for the cause of Christ. Think of Afghanistan right now. People have invested greatly for the kingdom. Let us not waste it by suddenly changing the truth and start drifting into a lifestyle where we're not looking at the cross. Where we don't spend time with God. Where all the activities of the family become more important than the things of God. And then finally, think about how the powerful, triune God is at work in your life. Even today. God still does miracles today. Maybe not exactly like He did in the days of the early church because that all had a wonderful purpose. But He is still miraculously saving people from their sin. He is still miraculously giving people the strength to endure suffering. He is still miraculously building His church into every tribe and people and nation. And this truth of justification helps us understand. It really helps us understand. The law says, I have to work and do more. Faith says, God did the work and He continues to do the work. Praise God for the complete work He's done in our lives the power of the gospel. Let us embrace that truth this week. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that even as we come back to this wonderful doctrine of justification, we are reminded again there's just so much more and more and more, Lord. How quickly we can forget this wonderful truth. How quickly we can forget that we have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. And Father, that because we have the Spirit, we can live holy lives. You see us as holy because of Jesus. Father, help us not to blur the picture of the cross in our minds. Help us not to forget that moment when we trusted in Jesus for complete salvation. Help us in those moments of doubt and discouragement when life gets so challenging, Lord, not to want to give up, but to come back to this truth. But yes, Lord, we do acknowledge we are in war. The devil is against us. He hates it when we relish really and love this truth and live it out daily. Help us not to be foolishly distorted by going back to our own efforts. Help us remember how you saved us. Help us to remember that we need to continue the way because of the way you saved us. Help us to remember the cost of what it means to follow you. And help us to remember, Lord. Now you're rich to supply us with all the power we need in abundance. So we can go free. So we can make the gospel one. All the villages around us. To the praise of the God. Amen.